0: For my text this morning I would like to turn to the epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter thirteen oh. and to verses twenty and twenty-one. Hebrews thirteen, twenty and twenty-one. Now the God of peace. That brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. The teaching contained in our text this morning is most comprehensive and most marvelous. Here the writer to the Hebrews is invoking the blessing of God upon those to whom he has addressed his letter and in doing so he makes reference to the covenant. Our God is a covenant God. He has made a covenant it is an everlasting covenant an eternal covenant it was not made in time it precedes time god has pledged himself he has committed himself to the saving of a people to his own beloved son he has given a people to be his own and, my friends, there is nothing in all the universe. There is no one amongst the children of men. There is none amongst the demons of hell who shall overthrow God's treasures in his covenant. His people shall inherit in full the covenant blessing that he has for them. The gods of the covenant is here called the God of Peace. May the God of Peace make you perfect in every good work. The term peace means more, much more really, than we mean commonly by this term today when we use it. It is peace in the deepest and in the fullest sense. It is peace with God. Peace between God and man an end of the alienation an end of the hostility between God and man reconciliation it is that peace that transcends human understanding that God gives to his people it is full salvation the people of God those who are embraced who are included within his covenant We see from him salvation in all its fullness. As we look then at our text, we notice that our attention is directed, first of all, to Christ's death. We notice this, first of all. Our attention is here directed to Christ's death. For the writer talks of the blood of the everlasting covenant. We have it at the end of verse 20 the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the covenant is, of course, Christ's blood. The reference here is to the cross, to Christ's blood shedding. There stands at the heart of the Christian gospel, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, his shedding of his blood. Take from our message the cross, and we have nothing left. This is the core, this is the heart, this is the kernel of our gospel. Ours is unashamedly a blood theology. There are those who say to us that they dislike all this talk of the shedding of blood, of the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Talk to us instead, they say, about loving our neighbor, about the Sermon on the Mount. Now, of course, these are undoubtedly great and vitally important themes. But it remains true that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We dare not, my friends, we dare not soft-pedal the Bible's teaching about forgiveness only through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord himself instituted two sacraments in his church. The elements in one of these are bread and wine, symbols that speak to us of a body that was broken and of blood that was shed. Till I come again, he said, I want you to meet together and to eat this bread and to drink this wine. Keep on doing this until I come again. Do this in remembrance of me. For you must never, never forget my Jerry. The blood of the covenant. We find as we read the Old Testament that when covenants were made, whether they be covenants between men or between gods and men, that those associated with those covenants was always the ritual slaughter of an animal. There was this blood shedding that was associated with the making of those covenants. A covenant was ratified. It was sealed by the shedding of blood. God's everlasting covenant of grace, in which he has undertaken to save those who believe in his Son is ratified and sealed by the shedding of blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mediator of the covenant. The shed blood of the incarnate Son of God ratifies and seals this great everlasting covenant. You see we're been pointed all the time on to Calvary. See our Lord Jesus Christ as he sets his face steadfastly to go towards Jerusalem knowing all that awaits him there. See him there in the garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating his great sweat drops. He's in agony there. See him as he is betrayed by the traitor's kiss. See him in a high priest's hut. Many bear false witness against him there. There are those who spit upon him and to smite him, who buffet him. See him before the full Jewish council. They hand him over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, clamoring for his crucifixion. Pilate has him flogged. See him as those rough Roman soldiers strip him of his clothes and put upon him a purple robe. Purple because it's the sign of royalty. They're mocking him, you see. They're clothing him as a king. They put a crown on his head. It's a crown of thorns, however. They put a scepter in his hand that is just a wreath and they bowed the knee before him in mock worship they sit upon him the lord jesus christ god's own son the lord of glory is being reviled by the heathen. and see him as they lead him away to be crucified see him as he makes his way weary in his human body along the Via Dolorosa so weary that he is unable to carry the heavy cross bar of his cross they have to compel one of the crowd Simon, a man from Cyrene to carry it for him and see him at the place called Calvary There they nail his hand and his feet to that cross. And they put it upright in the ground and leave him there to die. Over his head they put the superscription in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin. This is the king of the Jews. And hear him. Or hear the people. Hear the people as they mock him as they pass by. The crowds, as they pass by, mock him. The chief priests, as they pass by, mock him. Even one of the thieves, crucified there with him, mocked him. But notice what happens at noon. A great darkness covers the whole land. It lasts for three hours. It lasts till three o'clock. He's there in a terrible agony. He's enduring terrible spiritual anguish for he's forsaken of God in his agony he cried out in the words of the 22nd Psalm my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and then he yields up his spirit in death but not before he utters his cry finished it is finished the work that his father had given him to do, the work he had been given to do as a mediator of a covenant was complete. His blood had been shed. He died. But why? Why did he die? The Bible leaves us in no doubt whatsoever about this. He died for all sins according to the scriptures that is the consistent testimony of the whole bible he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquity the lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all that was written some 800 years before he died there upon the cross you remember what he said himself he said that he came to give his life a ransom instead of a man the apostle paul tells us that in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins hear what the apostle peter says he his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree and hear him again he died the just in the place of the unjust the righteous in the place of the unrighteous that he might bring us to God he is called here in our text the great shepherd of the sheep and the good shepherd lays down his life he gives his life for the sheep those who are included in his covenant in God's covenant are sinners And as such, they deserve to die, to die eternally. The righteous law of God demands that they be punished, that they suffer the punishment of death. But the mediator of the covenant has come. He has taken their place. He has taken their sin upon himself. He has taken the punishment due to them upon himself. He has died in their room and death. He has paid their penalty. He has offered himself a sacrifice to God on their behalf and instead of them he has died as their substitute. That's the explanation of his death. His is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Our attention is directed here to his death. But certainly we notice that our attention is directed here to Christ's resurrection. Christ's resurrection. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus died, but Jesus was raised from the dead. Our text says that he was brought again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant the preposition that is here rendered through can be rendered in various ways perhaps the death rendering in modern english would be by the word by the god raised him from the dead by the by the blood of the everlasting covenant through the blood or by the blood or in the blood of the everlasting covenant or on the basis of the blood or by virtue of, in virtue of the blood of the everlasting covenant His death, His bloodshedding and His resurrection are so intimately connected What is this telling us here? This is telling us that the you the death of Christ, His bloodshedding and his resurrection cannot be separated they stand or fall together we could not be saved apart from christ's death he is the mediator his is the blood of the covenant it was necessary that that blood be shed for our salvation but how can we know that that sacrifice has been effective how can we know that God has accepted the sacrifice that has been offered. How can we know that he has set the seal of his acceptance and his approval upon it? This is how we know. God raised him from the dead. Think of what happened. On the Friday evening, Jesus' body was laid there in his rock hewn tomb in the garden of Joseph, a rich man from Adam By Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away, exposing an empty tomb. The one whose body had been laid there, the one who had died, awoke as it were from sleep and rose. He showed himself to Mary there in the garden. He thought at first it was the gardener, you remember. He showed himself to the disciples gathered in the upper room. He showed himself to those two with whom he walked along the road to Emmaus. He was recognized by them only there in the village itself, in the house of the village, in the breaking of bread. He showed himself to Thomas. And he invited that doubter to put his hand into the nail prints in his the Saviour's hands and feet. One occasion. Over a period of forty days he showed himself to so many. He arose. But wait, wait a minute. Will he return to the honour that he had known before, to the position of great honour that he had known before? He has a little company out there on the Mount of Olives. Watch them. He is there with them. The Lord Jesus himself is there. And a cloud comes and it receives them out of their sight. In the cloud, he goes back to heaven. He is received. He is welcomed into heaven. He is given there the place of signal honor. He sits down on the right hand of the majesty on high. God gives to him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Oh, my friends, isn't it clear, clear a clear can that his sacrifice has been accepted. The Father has accepted the work of his son. The covenant has been ratified. It has been ratified by the blood of the covenant, by the shed blood of the covenant mediator of the Lord Jesus Christ. The covenant people are saved, saved for all eternity. Don't you see then the importance of a resurrection? If Christ has not risen, then his sacrifice is of no avail. It's just another sacrifice in a long line of sacrifices—the sacrifices the sacrifice is of bulls and of goats and of lambs that cannot take away sin. We are still in our sin. We are of all men most miserable. We are without hope. That is not so. Christ has risen. Death is not the victor. Christ has risen sin has been atoned for death has been vanquished Jesus lives O death where is thy sin O grace where is thy victory the day of the resurrection this day the Lord's day is a day of great victory and of great joy this is a day which the Lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it. But notice again who it is that was raised from the dead. He is called here, our, oh, our Lord Jesus. For you see, when he died and when he rose again, it was not as a private person that he died and rose. He died and he was raised. As our representative, as our covenant head. He is the head. We, his people, are the body. When he died there on the cross, his people died with him. They died with him to sin. When he was raised, his people were raised with him. He had entered into heaven, and as he had entered into heaven, his people entered into heaven too. The souls of believers immediately immediately they leave the body enter heaven and their very body shall one day enter into glory as his body has entered into glory for as He heroes from the grave so one day shall his people rise too they shall rise with clothed with resurrection bodies of glory like him when heroes He rose the first fruits of his people. His resurrection guarantees your resurrection and mine. If you're a believer and I'm a believer in him. How important then is the doctrine of a resurrection and how thrilling it is. It is absolutely basic. If Christ has not risen then we have no hope whatever. As we look ahead, there is nothing but bleak despair. But it is not so. For Jesus has risen. And because he has risen, everlasting glory awaits his people. Because I live, he says, you shall live also. Our attention is directed then, first of all, here, to Christ's death it is directed secondly to christ's resurrection and thirdly i want us to notice here the blessings of the covenant the blessings of the covenant what are they they are of course the blessings of salvation forgiveness peace with god eternal life undoubtedly these are the great blessings of the covenant but there are other blessings and The writer makes reference to them here in this superb prayer. I want us to notice three points as we think of this. And the first of them is this. He makes the Christian perfect in every good work. Verse 21. He makes him perfect in every good work. Now of course the reference here is not to sinless perfection. That will be ours one day if we're in the covenant. Where none of us will attain it here in this world, but that is our destiny. Rather what the writer is praying for here is that those Hebrew Christians to whom he has addressed his letter may know this blessing in this world. He is praying for them as they seek to lead the Christian life here in this world. The word that is translated, make perfect, really means make complete. He is praying that God may make them complete, that he may give to them all that they need, for a Christian living to the glory of God here in the world and this is what our God does no good thing does he withhold from those who are his people you remember how the Apostle Peter Putin he said according to his divine power he has given to us all things that pertain to life and Godliness everything that this believer needs for godly holy living here in this world is available to him god gives it to him at the beginning of his marvelous letter to the ephesians the apostle paul gives a great outburst of praise blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ in whom our all spiritual blessings was given to us all Spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Christ, God has given to his people every spiritual blessing. What the writer is praying for here is that those Hebrew Christians would know the procession and the enjoyment of that fullness of blessing that is available to them as a covenant people of God. Are you aware, Christian friends, of some deficiency in your life? Is it that you're aware of a need of greater power to live for the Lord? Is it that you're aware of a need for greater joy, a greater measure of love or of peace? I'm aware of a need for an increase in faith? Whatever it is, you're aware of the need for it. it's available for you ask for it ask and it shall be given you make complete <coughs> but then this <coughs> this word make perfect the word that is translated make perfect can also be rendered repair it means that too it's the actual word that is used in the gospel of the disciples of the fishermen mending their nets. God supplies us as Christian believers with all that we need and He repairs what is broken. Some of those Hebrew Christians to whom this writer addressed his letter had compromised with Judaism in face of the fierce persecution from their fellow Jews they had compromised. Perhaps now they were wondering can I ever regain, can we ever regain our former devotion? Yes, you can, the writer is saying. And he prays God that they will. Are there any Christians here this morning? And you feel that you've compromised. There's been a period of backsliding in your life. Something has gone wrong and you wonder, can it ever be put right? Yes, my friend, it can be put right. Pray God that it will. He can equip you, he will equip you with all that you need to live for him and he will repair a broken life. That's the first thing we notice then as we think of the blessings of the covenant. God, the God who brought again from the dead his son, that great shepherd of the sheep, makes the Christian perfect in every good thing he makes him complete in every good thing and the second thing we notice in this connection is that he does this with a view to the christian's doing of his will he does this for you with a view to your doing his will that is what the text says verse 21 makes you complete in every good thing Then to do. And in the original, the way it rendered really says, with a view to doing. With a view to doing his will. He makes complete that we may do his will. Being is with a view to doing. The emphasis here is on the outward action, the carrying out of the will of God. We are called to obedience we are called to conform to the commandments of God and to serve him, to engage in his service. We are called to go wherever he diveth, and there to work for him. The blessings of the covenant. First of all, being made complete in every good thing. Secondly, this being done with a view to our doing his will. And thirdly this, he works in his people. He works in his people. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. One of the blessings of a covenant is that those included within receive the Spirit of God. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But that is one of the Main, one of the chief blessings of the covenant is so plain from Paul's words to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14. He tells us there that Christ has been made a curse for us. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham, what's that? It's the blessing of the covenant. For the covenant with Abraham was a covenant of grace. It was an expression of God's everlasting covenant of grace that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. And what is that blessing? Paul goes on in Galatians to tell us that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Without any question, the gift of the Spirit is one of the chief blessings of the covenant. If you are the Lord, God's Holy Spirit, it lives in you And he lives in you to make you willing to do God's will And to empower you to do God's will He is in you to give you the will and the power to do Paul says it again in his letter to the Philippians He says there work out your own salvation with fear and trembling Why? For it is God who is at work within you to will and to do Of his good pleasure To make you willing And to empower you to do God puts his law In our inward part. He writes it on our hearts So that we love it And by his spirit He empowers us to obey And that in increasing measure. In that way The righteousness of the law Is fulfilled in us Fulfilled in us in increasing measure as we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What marvelous blessings, then, are ours if we're in the covenant. And they're all ours through Jesus Christ, we're told here in verse 21. May he make you complete in every good thing with a view to the doing of his will. Working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Those blessings are ours in him. Christ's death. Our attention is directed to it. It is at the heart of the gospel. He died for us. Christ's resurrection. It guarantees life to us who believe in his son. And then he mentions some of the covenant so blessed, his making us complete, his repairing what is broken, his doing it with a view to our doing his will, his working in us by his spirit. And those great and marvelous blessings, they all come to us in Christ. It's little wonder then, isn't it, that this writer concludes with this great doxology of praise to the lord jesus christ to whom be glory forever and ever he says amen and this morning my christian friends don't you also as you think of your crucified but risen redeemer don't you want to add to that your amen let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we come before thee now and give thee thanks for Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he died for us. We thank thee for the blood of the everlasting covenant. We thank thee thou did risen from the dead, and that he lived forevermore. May our hearts just leap with joy this day, as we... Think of the blessings that are ours as believers in him because of his death and his glorious, victorious resurrection. For all the blessings of the covenant we thank you. And we pray that thou wilt indeed be at work in us, making us all thou wouldst have us be, that we might do thy will. We desire now to offer to Christ himself All praise and honor and glory, world without end. Amen.